And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. For our live listeners, apologies for a brief break there. Technology, as usual, is not perfect. For the rest of our listeners, you're like, what's going on? And I say nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing happened, everybody. <laughs> These are not the brief ad breaks that you're looking for. Uh, okay, so you're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT or on one of our wonderful community radio partners all the way across the country, now in the U.S. as well, and our podcast audience. Uh, what we're going to be doing today is I have... Stefan Hofstetter here in the studio. How you doing? I also have two other guests in the studio. One of them will be introduced briefly. The other one will be a mystery guest that we're going to introduce later. And so I'm going to ask him to keep his mouth shut so that people can be like, who is the mystery guest in the studio? My goodness. It'll be a secret. What we're going to be doing today is talking a little bit about TTC Riders. We have Suhail Barot here in the studio from TTC Riders to talk about some transit issues, uh, some of them uh, election-related, some of them non-election-related, uh, and somewhat, to, to some extent, just sort of transit as an issue all the way across the country. TTC Riders works as a citizen group for transit uh, issues here in Toronto, but the transit is not obviously just a Toronto issue, like every issue is not just a Toronto issue, which I feel like I need to remind our Toronto audience sometimes. Um, and, by the way, I pick on other places sometimes, so sometimes it's fun to pick on Toronto on the on behalf of our other of our other listeners. So, uh, we're going to be doing that in just one moment. We have a mystery guest, and then I have, I'm not even exaggerating, Stefan, something like 40 news items I selected. I actually, I swear I tried to cut it down. There has just been so much that happened this week, so we're going to do a little bit of, like, speed news. I'm going to, like, read headlines. I think we did this a little bit last week. We're going yeah. to do it again. We have four people in the studio today. Uh, so when we get to a little bit later in the program, I'm just going to start dropping headlines and then you guys give me like a tweet length response. We're going to move on. That's the only way we're going to get to everything because uh, mm-hmm. it's all important. So without further ado, uh, Suhail from TTC Writers, please uh, welcome to the program. Awesome. Uh, we're going to talk to you a little bit about uh, TTC Writers, as I said, transit. Transit is an issue. Transit is an election issue. The election Every magnification of that fractal issue right there. But would you please start by just letting our listeners know, in case anyone uh, is completely uh, not paying attention or is maybe, you know, not from Toronto, what is TTC Riders and what do you guys do? All right. So we're an advocacy group, grassroots. We work to advocate for more service and lower fares on the TTC, which is the Toronto Transit Commission. So it's basically managing the transit system and operating it here in Toronto carries 1.8 million riders a day. Um, So it's the biggest system in Canada, um, I think the third biggest in North America. And um, we think highly of it, but we need it to be better. So it's, sometimes when I'm when I'm looking at because I'm on a million mailing lists and so I get up newsletters from you guys and I get news, newsletters from a hundred other places and what I notice it, it seems uh, the tone always seems to be very consistent it seems to be tough but fair or like tough love in the sense that you know you you it's a group of citizens who very much want a service want to, want a public service want to improve a public service um, but are sort of at the same point uh, seem to be if I can if I can be so bold sort of tired for waiting politely for it. Um, it's some people who are, are very, very much engaged in getting involved. I think that should be a good segue into one of the things you're currently doing, which is the the, the riding uh, captain program or something like that. Can you mm-hmm. describe the program just for just so people understand? Sure. And actually, that tired of waiting messaging is on one of our postcards. Aha! So I was not given that ahead of time. <laughs> awesome. Well, so one of the things that we've been trying to do to expand, especially with the election coming up, and then later on the municipal budget coming up, is we want to get people like actually present in all of the different neighborhoods where, you know, everybody's using transit in order to sort of get our presence out there outside of the downtown core more. We're often accused of being a downtown group, even though we have a 
significant presence in Scarborough. We're working in northwest Toronto where there are a lot of transit deserts and we partner with groups in Etobicoke and so forth. So um, we're trying to get people in the various neighborhoods. They're going to be canvassing. They're going to be building like a little bit of political strength to talk to councillors. They're going to be you know, making presentations at local community groups and so on. And we want, we want to essentially get to a groundswell of support for transit. We want to get to a point where, you know, the city councillors are not like, you know, the, especially the ones who are outside of downtown are not saying, you know, transit's not really my issue. I don't have to vote for it. Everybody here drives, which is not true anywhere. But they they go with that. There's this like fake divide between mm. neighborhoods that use transit pr- and biking and walking primarily, whereas the car neighborhoods, despite the fact that less than a third of Toronto drives into work every day. Well, the thing that makes me laugh so hard about that, I mean, laugh when I'm not busy wanting to cry about it, because I'm also a huge transit fan, and it's one of my primary interests. If you actually go and look at the bio of us on the webpage, it's written there, so I'm not just making this up because you're on the show. Um, but it's one of the it's, it's one of the things I find so frustrating and sort of funny at the same time, which is that the entire point of this was every single time you get somebody on a, a form of public transit, they're not in their car. And so the, the people who actually win the most is actually car drivers. Because sometimes, especially with the current system, like especially in the progress while we're growing it, right? Because if we had a giant explosion in funding and a giant explosion in ridership, we had all these new fancy trains and blah, 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 and we look like some of the cool trains in Europe and all those sort of things, really progressive, then okay, maybe then it would be like pretty pretty sweet. But I think, you know, you're giving up a little bit. Yes, you're getting, you're taking public transit, it's cheaper or whatever, but it's also, it's sometimes it's crowded and sometimes it's this and sometimes it's that. And really, the people who I think are the biggest winners are the people who are still driving and have less other cars in their way. And I, I've never understood that. I've never understood why somebody would want would be upset about a bus being on the uh, you know getting in their way on the freeway instead of the forty five cars it would be otherwise. I just I don't understand it. So, but you guys actually do things like go to door to door, and part of the reason you're looking for people to, to join right now is so that you can speak to other transit riders. What do people say when you bring this up? Who who maybe aren't big transit users when you when you try and talk to them about this? Do they get that, or is this still are we still having trouble communicating that basic sort of argument? Um. Most of the people we talk to, honestly, are transit riders, and you get a sort of mix between the, you know, we really need more service, why is the system breaking down as much as it is, why, you know, what's going on over here, why are fares increasing? You've probably heard that the city is looking at raising fares yet again this year, which is something that we really need to work to stop from happening, but... So you have to take all of that energy that is often misdirected and sort of try to try to get it out there that, you know, it's not the TDC's fault. It's the fact that we've starved the system from funding from funding over the past two decades. It's the fact that the province doesn't pay its fair share. It's the fact that its federal government doesn't pay its fair share. And we just need to get more money into the system if we're going to get the kind of transit that Toronto deserves. And that's true everywhere. And uh, this is such a big interest for me. I actually did a, a paper on it when I was in the university and fa- compared Toronto's transit system to several other cities. I believe uh, it was San Paulo, uh, um, uh, uh, Boston, I think, and uh, uh, damn, somewhere else. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Three other world cities that were of approximately the same size. And we actually 
for we've been when you look into the transit system, ours is actually incredibly efficient as far as what you get for the dollars you spend on it. It's actually one of the most efficient systems in North America. I might, I might maybe even farther than that, but it's incredibly high up the list as far as the value that we get. We're squeezing every last dollar of value out of the money we spend on it. The, the difference, though, between the Toronto and the other three studies that I studied and a lot of other places is that there's a giant disproportionate amount put on the rider. So it's uh, so if you go to Boston and and uh, and San Paulo and these other places, the riders the the fares actually work out when translated to U.S. dollars to be almost exactly a dollar. It's like they did it intentionally in U.S. dollars. Let's make it a dollar's worth. Uh, in Canada right now, it's or sorry in Toronto right now, uh, it's it's three and it's going up. And the difference there is not actually that we're paying more for transit. It's that you're making three times, you're putting three times as much pressure on the person who's doing as we just said a minute ago, the good deed of taking transit. You're almost punishing them for it when really the benefits go to everyone. And you're putting all the the pain for that choice on on the riders, and I, 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 that was the thing that I really wish wish people would understand. Is no, we actually have an amazing system. We're just sort of like managing it wrong as far as like the the burdens and the benefits, and I think we could do better to sell it. But we have a pretty good system. We should be we, yeah. we should improve it, but we should actually be pretty happy with what we have too. I mean, um, it's over eighty percent of the funding for the system comes from riders, and that's not true, as you said, of any other system in North America. You you're putting in a tremendous burden on it. There are a lot of people, you know. I mean, transit is not just about you know getting from like for the people getting to work or an alternative to cars. For a lot of people, it's the only thing they've got. Mm. It's a social justice issue. Transit needs to be available because what are you going to do otherwise? How do you get to the doctor? How do you get your kids to school if you don't have a car and can't afford a car? Or you know, this is a huge city. Everything's spread out. We've not really pursued a strong policy of densification, which means that it's perfectly like it's it's fairly common for people to have obscenely long commutes. Two hour commutes are not uncommon here in Toronto. And if we're not going to get a better system, it just gets worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And so, and this plays uh, obviously a bigger role for people who are already at a disadvantage because generally these are people living at the outskirts of the city who, who you know, if they get a yep. job and it's on the other end of, of the city, oh, it's still in Toronto. But yeah, as you said, it could be take them two hours to get to and from work. That's four hours. That's four hours of working hours out of their day that that they could have used to you know support their family. Um, that's where the you know the, there's been a study by the Toronto Board of Trade that says that the cost of congestion here in Toronto is eight billion dollars a year. That's, you know, that is on the order of, I think, at least four times the cost of just operating the transit system, <laughs> you know. So that, that just gives you a sense of how ridiculous some of these arguments are. $8 billion a year, if you add up all of the time spent by all of the people here in Toronto and others who come into, the, come into Toronto, who, which are lost because they are commuting instead of doing the things that they actually want to be doing. So we've talked a little bit about some of the the problems and and some of the the, the reasons for those problems and some of the some of the arguments for improving it. So, but, but let's get into specifics. So, what is TTC Riders asking the, the the Toronto Transit Commission and the supporting government agencies that that sort of oper- work with it and uh, and fund it and stuff like that? What are you asking them for? We're asking them for lots and lots of money. <laughs> That's a very simple. <laughs> ask yeah, just well, lots of money. I mean, so the city puts in around. 400 somewhere between 4 to 500 million dollars in funding every year for operating the TTC. We want we feel that that number should be about twice as much. And we look at the province and the federal government 
as the primary places where that funding should come from because they are the ones who've got more capability to raise revenue and more capability to do it in a progressive way. Because we want, I mean, obviously, we want the funding that comes in to be fair and equitable and, you know, sir, not put a burden on those that are least able to support it. So that's basically what we're asking for on the operating side. But we also need funding for so many projects that have been deferred for so long. We've been talking about the downtown relief line, I believe, for 20 years or more. We've been talking about the LRTs that are supposed to be built. The Shepherd LRT is now de- being delayed for 2020. It's, it's, you know, it's a story of just delay after delay after delay. And it's not unique, again, to Toronto. Um, whenever there's an opportunity... Whenever there's budget pressure, people push back projects, even though it's a really short-sighted thing to do. So, I mean, we had an example with our, our previous uh, mayor, uh, Mr. Ford, uh, where we had a whole bunch of work, money go into Metrolinks to come up with all these very well-researched plans. Whether you like them or not, they were very, you know, people who are paid very well to know an awful lot about good planning spent a whole lot of money coming up with really good plans. You may not have agreed with them, but they were, you know, this was the plan that we invested a bunch of money in developing a plan and they had a plan. Uh, and then it sort of got killed and a bunch of money got wasted. But uh, the story that I got out of that without getting into, you know, that's the last I want to mention Rob Ford ever again. Um, without getting into that, part of the thing that I sort of saw there was very interesting was, you know, you have all these experts and there, we could draw a metaphor here for climate change, for so many other environmental problems, where we had a bunch of people who were experts in an area. They go and they do their work and they come back and they present it and say, okay, you asked us to go do some work. Here's, here's, the, here's the answer to the best of our ability. And then it goes to the public for a vote and they're like, nah, I don't like the sound of that. And then sort of get rid of it and, we, and this entire idea that hey these, these it wasn't just that these were 16 randomly selected citizens and this was the opinion that they got and that your opinion is is does differs from their opinion we just at some level don't have any which is not to say that experts are never wrong but that there seems to be no respect for for the amount of work that goes into coming up with these ideas and these plans and then people without even knowing anything about it just hear that sounds like you're gonna have to raise my taxes all right no and i will vote for whoever will kill that without a moment's thought about the consequences for themselves, if nothing else. It's remarkably annoying. And, I mean, just to add to one last point about that, those projects were fully funded. <laughs> the city didn't have to pay for them. The province was going to pick up the, the entire tab for those LRT lines. And it's gone. And now we're stuck trying to find money for everything else because we essentially just threw away billions of dollars. Mm. Because of, you know, who? Um, <laughs> he who shall not But anyway, I lost my train of thought. So <laughs> That's okay. So, uh, I mean, we're getting, uh, we're getting a little close to our first uh, music break here. So what I'd like to just give you an opportunity to do, uh, for our Toronto listeners, you can give a pitch if people are interested in getting involved. Give them some information. What are some programs you're running right now? Uh, if you want to describe the actions you're taking around the election, uh, stuff like that, how people get involved. Um, and then maybe also just if there's people from other parts of Canada uh, who are interested, um, maybe let them know what other sort of general resources they might be able to use and use in their uh, local area that they might be able to find on your site or, or if they can contact you about it or anything like that. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things we're working on that we'll hopefully put out in a week or so is a vote transit report card. It'll compare the positions of the three major parties out on transit issues. Um, so we've been tracking what all of them say. And, you know, every so often they put out something new and something new. And it's often very diffuse. So you're trying to figure out what does that actually mean? How much are you actually 
actually going to do. So we're going to have that info for folks. Without giving away too much, I can easy, I can tell you that the conservatives are obviously worst, and um, the other two parties are sort of duking it out a little bit around where they are. Um, but uh, no, that's good. You're, you're, yeah, come check that out. All right, so people can ttcriders.ca. Come and you'll see that info, and you'll see lots about what other things that we're doing. Okay, and of course, and there's a number of volunteers there as well. So if people have questions, or if, or if maybe somebody's in another city and they they want to know how they can maybe get something like TTC Riders started in their uh, neighborhood, uh, everyone Definitely. there is super friendly. They can contact you, right? Awesome. Should yeah, they ask totally. for you, Suhail? Why not? Why not? All right. Ask for Sue Hale as uh-huh. writers. All right. So we're going to go to our first music break here. We're going to come back, and you're going to find out who our mystery guest is, who's been patiently making faces at me all show, but has not said a word yet. Oh, really? We get to learn who it is? Yes. Wow. <laughs> uh, so you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Please do not go anywhere. We will be right back. We look to east side and west side, south of north side. We look to her side and his side, anywhere but inside. We look to fast cash and fat cats, anyways, and fast blows. We look to anywhere but inside, anywhere but inside. Cause we are the We are back. You're listening here to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM or possibly on one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio sponsors. I'm your host, Darren Kester, sitting in studio with Stefan Hostetter, my co-host, as well, and Sue Hale from TTC Riders uh, is stucking around as well for the rest of the show. And we are now introducing our mystery guest, which is Alex. Alex Spears Roche? Spears Roche, yeah. Aha, I got it. Um, (laughs) Who's... From, but not here on behalf of Greenpeace for now, we're going to say. Uh, basically, uh, Alex, I just bumped into at a local uh, uh, meeting. It was a Toronto Climate Action meeting. Uh, we said, hey, you should come on the show. And I was like, hey, how about this week? Because we have a chair that you can sit in. <laughs> it was like, great. <laughs> great sitting going on in so, this, uh, in this oh, oh, but so, not yeah, necessarily speaking on behalf. Uh, I, I trust you will make it absolutely clear if you're saying anything that you wish to not be on behalf of one of the other, you know. I don't believe this, but Greenpeace says, or vice versa. Definitely. Uh, other than that, just you know, use your imagination. So what we're going to do now, I have a number of uh, news items. Oh, boy, do I mean a number. It's uh, I'm scrolling... 
for days here going down my list. But there's a few top things, and I wanted to uh, uh, I was going to throw to you, Stefan, to maybe uh, take your dig at one of the top ones, and we'll sure. just start working through them. Uh, once we get to the uh, second music break, we're going to switch over from our conversational style, and I'm going to move over to a game that uh, we're going to do speed Twitter length reactions, <laughs> and I'm just going to start burning through these headlines and, and get sort of quick impressions from we'll see how that works out this week but uh without further ado what was one of your top picks this week uh okay i'm gonna go with well i think the uh, in terms of long-term climate change reduction mm-hmm. uh which is how i curate all my news mm-hmm. uh is the anything that long-term climate is the first thing i read uh i think it has to be the fact that china has now has a date for when its carbon market is uh is going to open up i mm-hmm. think that is the i think that has to be the fundamentally the number one um you can make an argument uh, that uh, that have that the Pope's continual fight for climate change could maybe have a somewhat similar, uh, if more le- less obvious uh, impact. But I think first and foremost uh, is that in 2017, uh, the carbon market will open up in China. Uh, Three billion dollars has already been. It's it's part of the de- ongoing deal with the United States uh, as they continue to work together, while all the conservatives in the running for president say doesn't exist. Um, so who knows what happens after that election. But and nonetheless, uh, hopefully by then a market will be it will, will, will speak for them. So yeah, well, I was going to say uh, thank you for I was about to say that you were had made an error there. But until you added the running for president part, because a, uh, a good segue there would be also to the story that uh, 11 congressional Republicans mm-hmm. just prior to the Pope's visit have uh, uh, t- uh, they've introduced a resolution to put climate change in the broader context of conservation, stewardship, innovation and conservatism. Uh, these might be some actual Catholics, yeah. uh, as opposed to the Catholics that now disavow the co- Pope, which I'm not sure what, well, how you're the Pope is. At that point. Yeah, the anyway. Pope is. You know, he, he, did, he, did you, the, my favorite. Uh, this is not a real environment thing, but my favorite, my favorite uh, criticism of the Pope uh, so far from the conservatives was that he didn't mention Jesus in one of his speeches, <laughs> because just the idea that the Pope might not be Christian is just the funniest attack or, anyone can make on the Pope, or even, or even, I mean, Christian enough. Yeah. Well, like, well, like, there's a thing. It's like either there's a saying where someone's like, "Am I this? Is the Pope Christian?" That's like literally the thing they say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the uh, the uh, uh, Boehner, the uh, majority House leader for the uh, former former sorry he stepped down. I think leader. today. Uh, what? Yeah. Is that right? Oh, I missed that. Oh, I see. Broke news. This is amazing. <laughs> I never go. get to break news. <laughs> uh, his uh, he, his response was essentially neener neener neener. Like I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, moving on a little bit, uh, I had another top story as well, which was that science speaking on the uh, topic of climate change here that uh, uh, scientists calculate global warming currently at forty three trillion dollars. That's what it's going to cost uh, if we continue to warm the Arctic. And uh, I like bringing up these numbers. I mean, uh, to some extent, they sort of don't mean anything because they're A, approximations, and B, approximations based on approximations based on approximations. Um, but the, the reason I think it's really super important, to, I think we should be talking about more of the numbers. And, and this is a conversation I think we're, maybe we can pause here for a moment and, and get some uh, input. Uh, maybe, Alex, you probably have something to say about this. But it's the, the, my whole thing was that, I mean, the people and, – and, and to be fair, a lot of organizations have been getting better about this, in my opinion. But a lot of people are still talking about sort of the ethical. And I know that people still say when they're polled that, you know, talking about think of the children uh, is still a very convincing argument. I don't believe that that's true. I believe that people say that when they're polled. I don't actually believe that's true. I believe it really comes down to financial interest. And I think that the number one argument that needs to be made was that, you know, especially when we're talking about the Harper's current government, which is essentially 
if forced to, he'll per se that something called climate change exists. But what he means by that is not the reality and blah, blah, blah. So basically, he doesn't believe in climate change uh, or he's running on a disbelief of climate change. Regardless, I wouldn't pretend to know what his personal beliefs are. Um, is that the number one thing you can do to absolutely guarantee that you destroy the Canadian economy is to go full force in the opposite direction of the rest of the world. Uh, and that means not calculating, that means not trying to stop it for all the costs that we're going to incur by having to deal with it later. But it also means like, I mean, one of the other stories that we pulled out here, 96 cities quitting fossil fuels and moving towards 100% renewable energy now. Uh, we have the, the third US city has now just announced that it has a plan to go 100% renewable. Uh, we have China now who's, uh, who's uh, in addition to still being a giant consumer of coal, is now also the i believe still the world produ largest producer of solar panels um it's it's like it's so i what that's what i don't understand it's like it seems like canadians this election are not looking outside of their borders to see the world like when we're talking about the economy we're talking about the global economy there is no such thing as the canadian economy on its in its isolation and if you even for five seconds even look to the u.s for five seconds you'll see that the writing is on the wall here folks and i really don't understand why that's not getting any traction so alex i'm going to throw to you for a comment on that i'm sure you have something to say sure yeah totally um i mean yeah i think you raise a really good point that these types of studies that put a dollar value on things like climate change and environmental damage they can be really helpful because they can show us that it's you know, environmental damage and climate change hurt our economy. It's not a question of, oh, should we prioritize the economy or prioritize the environment? Part, a big part of the reason why environmental damage and, and global warming is a problem is because it, it hurts our economy. It, uh, you know, it undermines um, our, our prosperity. But I think where you have to sort of be a little bit careful is that one, uh, like you're saying, quantifying is like really hard. And like if you're talking about, you know, uh, causing enough sea level rise to make whole Pacific Island nations disappear off the face of the map, how do you really put a dollar value on that. You know, there's a lot of justice issues that are there. Um, and when human life, lives are involved in sort of the long-term prosperity of the species, even the survival of the species, um, you know, how do you really put a dollar on, on, on a dollar amount on that? And I was, yeah, Mr. Gentleman, I think it's so funny that we always talk about, uh, like, hurting the economy and then have all these conversations about what the economy really is. Because I think, like, it comes down to one basic fact that climate change is going to make it harder to live, period. Like that's the fact. It's not. It, it, it's not just that it's going to hurt our economy. The economy is really just what we use right now to live the way we live right now. Uh, and so it, it's it, with it, like with all of these. It's not just going to you know make us make less money, which is basically what hurting the economy means. Mm -hmm. It's also going to make it a lot harder to do all the things we currently do that is is outside of the uh, like quote unquote the economy. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's 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 funny that we sort of like it's great to have a dollar value on that, but like again, not only not only do you have to bring in the sort of justice issues of of what we're doing, but also just the fact that like there are so many things we do that we just take for granted, mm -hmm. uh, like being outside in summer. Uh, you can't. <laughs> think that's just going to be worse uh and you can't say that costs 50 dollars to be let for it to be more pleasant to be outside during summer uh but it's a it's it's a thing that we sort of it often gets ignored because we spend so much time being like okay well the economy and money is how we talk seriously about things mm. like it's as if, as if financial times has gotten the because god i mentioned this last week so i'm sorry if i'm repeating myself uh but like it's broken like, record stiff i know it's like businesses that business in finance has has stolen the ability to be the only people who are talking serious about things because they have money and quantitative yeah. Viable values, and, and then we and lose all the, it, all those other things. And it, uh, it almost like by definition doesn't. I mean, here's my favorite go-to example about the. And then uh, I think Sohail wants to jump in. Uh, let me just stick this one thing in there, uh, which is that. Uh, like the, even the, just the ridiculousness of what like the GDP and like market growth means. If you have 10 oil spills and you have to spend 10 trillion dollars cleaning them up, that 10 trillion dollars counts towards your GDP expenditure. 
it looks like your economy is doing well when all you're doing is spending your entire nation's resources cleaning up toxic disasters that it will kill people for years to come. That is how useless those numbers are. They're actually meaningless. And, and so it's not about – I know people will, will bring up like the, the happiness index or whatever and maybe like roll their eyes like a little bit. But GDP is a meaningless number if we're actually talking about welfare. The thing is that when people – economists and when these businesses – uh, business quote-unquote business leaders are talking about it and when Harper's talking about it, they're not talking about you and me. They're just talking about their rich buddies because that's what those numbers mean and they know it. And that's what they mean when they say it. And that's my point was that they're not under a, a disillusion that they understand what those numbers mean. They know exactly what they mean. They're just it's code for them being like wink, wink, nub, nub, nub. This is for you and me who are getting filthy rich of this. And if the other guys buy it, that's their problem. So, hey, um, I just wanted to go back to your point about why Canadians don't seem to be engaged in this. And I think it goes to the fact that none of the major parties are talking about it. Mm. The entire narrative over here, like when do you hear like – the even the Liberal Party or the NDP really talk about climate change is such a big deal. We have, you know, we're going to do, we're going to go in this direction and change everything. If you look at the states, on the other hand, the Senate Democrats recently introduced their new clean energy bill that's supposed to go beyond what Obama has proposed, and they're talking about it as something that will be key to their electoral strategy next year. Mm. When do you hear about a Canadian political party putting climate change as part of its electoral strategy? <laughs> when it's and yeah, it's again, it's because people uh, they aren't talking about it, and, and I mean, I think it's a perfect. If I, I'll make another segue, and then I think Alex wants to jump back in. Uh, uh, was that, uh, that funny? You should mention that for for us to have a space to talk about this, to have this conversation we're having right now. Stefan and I have to volunteer our time. There is nowhere in this country that I have found, believe me, I've been looking, that will pay us to do this show. <laughs> And that, I mean, think about that for a second. That's why we're not having this conversation. Because for like for us, this is like this is obvious. And we, because we, I don't have to check with somebody before I talk. I mean, as long as I don't uh, curse, basically, or go too far off, you know, the partisan deep uh, board, uh, which I would never do anyway, because I'm, I'm, that's not my, my nature. I don't have to censor that. Um, I can basically say whatever I want on here. And that's the only way that we have the space to have this conversation. But this can conversation can't happen on uh, power and politics. Well, it could, but it won't. <laughs> right, because there's too many interest. Oh well, they might not like it. Blah blah blah. It's 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 a fraud, and and I think Canadians at some point at some level will recognize it's a fraud. I think they come to a variety of conclusions about what the problem is and how we address it. But I think at some deep level, even the thirty you know five or whatever percent that's going to vote for Harper, no matter what, uh, or thirty percent or whatever it is, I think all of them at some point at, at some level understand that there's something deeply deeply wrong. We just have different ideas about what it is that's wrong and how to fix it. Um. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I thought I, I Just, thought I saw a nod if someone wanted to throw something <laughs> on top of that. Um. Anyway, so yeah, if that wraps that up, I had another one here that was uh, that I wanted to tie in just very briefly to that as well, uh, which was. Uh, the Senate Democrats. Oh yeah, the the hundred the cities are going one hundred percent renewable. Do we? How much do we? How do excited are we about that? Like. It, just in the sense that I think it's really easy to say something about that. I, can we get a poll on, on, so on do you think these are serious? Uh, do you think this is actual progress? Or are these people sort of like, or this is the where we, we see their lips move for a little while and then maybe at some point in the future they become serious? What well, do you think? There was a very, uh, I had a very interesting conversation uh, with with the environmental, uh, I think chief environmental planner or something like that, uh, uh, Linda Swanston of the city of Toronto a couple weeks ago. And she was describing how cities calculate with their carbon emissions. 
And I wish I could remember what the word was, but there's a, it was like a zone one, zone two, and zone three. The word wasn't zone, but there's something else about it. Scope. Something. Scope. Scope one, two, and three. Thank you. Uh, and, and talking about how basically all cities, when they're talking about carbon, uh, talk about scope one and two, uh, which basically scope one and scope two encapsulate basically all of the carbon that happens inside our borders. Uh, so it's transit, and so it's, when, so it's interesting. Mostly. Then you look at so what's Toronto's scope to uh, what causes carbon causes scope two and one uh, phases, and basically it's entirely just heating. Ten uh, percent is waste, and forty percent is transit, and that is it. Uh, and so, yes, if we got that all into zero, uh, that would be great. However, uh, that does not touch food. That does not does not touch the fact that we're shipping all our manufacturing inside. Uh, that does not touch really it's actually i think if you're only talking about scope two which i think i would be blown away if any 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 uh city was trying to go scope three which includes you know the what they all what the city actually brings into it uh carbon neutral because i think that would be that would be such a such a lofty goal at this point in time that i cannot imagine them trying mm-hmm. um and so scope one's good that's great uh but it's not every city every like you could have every city in the world uh, or not every city but you have like 80 percent of the cities in the world being scope two carbon neutral but at the last 20 percent of cities are where all the manufacturing is happening and and we're still shipping like you know seven million tons of beef into cities it's we're still going to burn uh and so it's and so it's it's one of the things where it's like that's great i love that i would rather honestly hear that they're divesting mm. uh which is why we're probably hearing that less cities are divesting than they are than they are making this commitment mm. uh but really it's it, it, I, I don't i'm interested to in how they'll get there especially given the fact that if you do include car driving or is their goal to convince everyone to not drive cars only drive electric cars and then again are electric cars carbon neutral no i think sue Heil might have something to say about that Getting rid of of all cars, yeah. I mean, I I was going to go to sort of the additional aside that most of the for most of them that does not mean that they are going to be building lots of renewable energy or anything of that sort. It means that they're going to sign a contract with somebody to buy Rex from somewhere that somehow mean that their energy is green. It's the same way Chicago a couple of years ago when they took over electricity supply signed this deal to say that you know none of our electricity will come from coal. What does that actually mean? You know they're plugged into one of the most coal intensive grids in North America, but our electricity isn't going to come from coal. And then two years later, they decided to abandon that because it was getting too expensive. Well, they, put, they put a little machine on everybody's house that pulls out the coal electrons that separates them from the wind. No, okay. Uh, okay, so we're coming up on our second uh, uh, break here. And I, I want to uh, – this was a good opportunity for something else that uh, – oh, what was that line that they're stealing from the Sims or something? Here's the, something that grinds my gears. No, it's yeah, Family Guy. That's Family Guy's grinds gears, yeah. It's Family Guy. Here's, here's uh, Darren Kester's uh, grinds my gears of the week. Okay, so I mentioned this a minute ago, uh, how much I despise Joe Oliver. Um, so he, there was an article that came out, CBC News yesterday. I, even they seemed to be a little wink in the nod that they were sort of like, really, Joe? Really? Uh, the title wasn't, Canada isn't in a recession before, and it isn't now, Joe Oliver says. And basically what the article says, actually, no, I'm not going to do a basically. I'm going to read from it, because this was just absolutely priceless, uh, soon, <laughs> as soon as I can find it. Uh, basically, what he was saying was, uh, if I can find the quote in time, I'll, I'll read it. But uh, regardless, basically what he was saying was, uh, the, the economy wasn't in section. The contraction was just in the energy and resource sector, and which is less than, okay, that's it. Yeah, what we're talking about is a contraction in the energy and the resource sector of the economy, which is less than 20% of the economy. And the other eighty percent is growing. Okay, yeah, but it's it's the like it was your number one thing. Like this is like being like you spending your entire 
baseball team's resources on one star <laughs> player, and then that star player like completely bombs, and they're like, yeah, but our average percentage on the rest of our players and the rest of our team went up by three percent. So really, other than this one, yes, okay, but you staked your entire. Like you put every card and every bet and every chip into this pile, and then you it got destroyed. And you're like, yeah, okay, but everything else isn't as bad. Some of the other some of the other things that we we almost we didn't screw up because we didn't touch it, didn't screw up quite as badly. So I guess we're looking pretty good. Like I don't understand how people get away with saying this. It's it's maniacally nonsense, <laughs> and it's and it's basically an admission that he screwed up. But he's trying to do that like spin thing. But it's it, I don't know. It just at some level that just really really got to me because this is like your number one thing. This is like your your go to. This is like line one on your resume is champion of of uh, resource development and, and tar sands and, and and energy and exports and superpower. And you're like yeah yeah yeah. But the only thing that screwed up was the one thing that was my biggest thing. But other than that, we did pretty good. Well, it's a great example of othering to some extent. Can you tell it, that frustrated me? <laughs> yes, I can. Uh, it's a great example of it's, it's an interesting example of sort of have how a politician can other an issue. Uh, <laughs> what's interesting about it, like for some reason this is kind of funny that you know Canadian like politicians are constantly held on how well the economy goes, which really is eighty percent out of their hands. Like you know it's like they can do some things, they can work some things, but a lot of the other hands. But society's decided that they are responsible for the economy, uh, which you know because to some extent they are. Uh, and then and then to but then to do what he's done here, basically, which is like he can't be responsible for the oil and gas sector. That's just like that's just price of oil. He can't do anything about that. So what? But and everything else. Like it's 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 very it's 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 taking something out. Uh, what I think from taking something that society thinks is his job to do, and then putting it as something that isn't his job to do, and being like, well, that's the real problem. But I don't understand why he didn't just keep his mouth shut. Like it was, <laughs> it's such a bad argument that you'd think they would just be like Xnay on the wish. You know what I mean? Like really, like. Even the even the, even people who only get their news from conservative newsletters have to been like scratching their heads at that one. I don't know. So, yeah. Well, so I think they have tried to keep him off the campaign trail. People have been <laughs> wondering where he is, but I guess you they must have had to let him out of the room that locked him <laughs> okay, so like if he doesn't if he doesn't do one photo op or something then people are going to start to wonder if we've got him in the basement or something I don't know. but on that note so for the folks who are perhaps unhappy with his handling of things there are a bunch of climate activists going to hold a vigil outside his office on October 1st you can come hang out with us <laughs> nice <laughs> did you have a plug on that too Alex? Uh, I'd just say go to it All right. that <laughs> will like it be a, a concerned vigil how would you describe this vigil <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think the discontented as discontented you digital. Okay, all right. So I have a I have a second to grind my gears this week, but I'm going to use it to open the final section, and then basically I'm going to stop talking because I've I've talked quite a bit this week. So let's go ahead and go to our music uh, break here. We'll come back in just a minute uh, with our two guests, very f- uh, packed uh, round table, almost literally a round table here. Uh, we, we'll, maybe we should tweet out a picture of the table so people know why that's amusing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, we're going to go to our music break here. You're listening to the Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM. One of our one wonderful community partners or possibly as a radio uh, podcast we enjoy having all of you listen to us and we'll be right back in just a minute after this break Where was I? 
prostitute. She ate McDonald's all day and never had a chance to play. here on the Green Majority, uh, CIUT 89.5 FM. We're going to come right back in to uh, my second Grind My Gears this week. I, I'm going to come up with, I'm going to workshop it. Actually, right. you know what? Uh, if you have an idea for what Darren ranting section could be called, <laughs> other than ripping off uh, Family Guy, right. uh, you can go ahead and tweet at Green Majority, or, or if you want to send suggestions to Stayho right now, he's actually on his phone. That's at uh, Stayho underscore. Uh, no one sent me a picture of a turtle last week. No? No, not a single person sent me a picture of a turtle last week. Nobody likes you, Stefan. <laughs> That's very sad. All right, so here we go. <laughs> Come on, somebody send somebody tweet at Stefan and send him a picture of a turtle. I mean, really, I, we're we're all really disappointed here. Uh, so uh, the second one was there was an article by uh, you know what, I'm not even going to call out the author. It doesn't matter because it's very it's very typical. The who wrote it doesn't matter. But it was a uh, it was a uh, to be fair it was an opinion piece uh, put in uh, the uh, Globe Mail here. It's called it's time to reassess. Uh, it's uh, it's time Canada reassessed its stance on selling water. Now, I originally started with the title. I was like, oh, okay, someone who's you know someone in uh, uh, who's being published in, a, in the opinion section of a major uh, newspaper uh, is is you know standing up for for no 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 <laughs> no. Uh, essentially, the argument was, hey, we already strip mine everything else Canada has, and that's the basis of our economy. Why aren't we selling all of our water too? And what's really offensive about this was that I know that a lot of people are going to read this and go, hey, yeah, you know what? She's got a point. We could be making a lot of money here. But she doesn't have the most basic understanding of hydrology, much less anything else, apparently. Um, and it really, really frustrates me because these are people, and, 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 and again, that's why I didn't want to call out the specific author. You can look it up. It's going to be posted on the thing if you really care. But it doesn't matter because a lot of people feel this way. And a lot of people who make decisions about economic issues, about what we should be selling, about how we base our economy, about what types of incentives to give to uh, uh, industry and that type of thing, have no connection to scientific reality. And if we don't understand what it is that we're selling, maybe we shouldn't be doing it. Maybe we should check first. I don't know. But what, essentially what these people are advocating for is to increase, not reduce, deals like with Nestle where we're selling public resources to a private company to commercialize it on the desperate hope that they maybe pay part of their corporate taxes and we get a fraction of that money back. And instead, what we give up is what is in fact and what was made devastatingly clear by the article, and you're welcome to read it for yourself. It's actually quite long, uh, is that these r r resources 
are sort of renewable, not completely renewable. Some of them do have limits and some of them involve refresh rates, right? Which is that, yes, it's renewable, but at only at a certain rate. And if we're consuming it faster than that, then the total goes down. It's not very complicated. But we have people in positions of power who who feel very much the same way, who are passing laws that, that encourage this type of behavior and that are, and that are allowing companies like Nestle, Nestle to privately buy public what would have been public resources to uh, not only provide water to needy people here, but maybe we could have shared it with the U.S. But the thing that that should be a deal that's broken, not just, okay, here's a private company, you have the rights, who's going to maximize profits by, by ramming up the price as high as profit, uh, to ram up their profits as high as possible because that's what they're legally obligated to do. Do we really need to be turning all of our all of our things that are required for life into commercial profits to be maximizing. I don't understand how anyone thinks that that's more valuable. And, a, and I understand it a very without a basic understanding of science, you'd be like, yeah, okay, so it's basically it's just sitting there. So why don't we sell it? <laughs> oh my, ugh. please somebody take over. That's it. That, yeah, basically, I think, I'm trying I think to it's, stop it's, it's not about science. It's about uh, economics and like money making, and that people see in this an opportunity to make a bunch of money by you know selling the water to the U.S. And like you said, they want to take a public good, privatize it, and then sell it so they can make you know a bunch of cash. And the crazy thing, too, is that part of the reason why there's a market for it is because you have all these communities in places in the U.S. where they've just over-consumed their water. They've drawn down their aquifers, and they've totally consumed beyond their local ecological limits. And instead of sort of learning the lesson from that and being like, oh, hey, maybe we should sort of change what we're doing and start living within the limits of the world that we're a part of, uh, they're like, okay, well, let's export the problem and just, you know, overconsume from somewhere else now. But it's also the thing, it's also the thing that, hey, it's not a random reason why other people are running short on water that we are suddenly have this good opportunity. Instead of selling all our water to them, maybe we should wonder why they're running out of water. I yes. don't understand why that's so complicated. Uh, but as I said, I'm going to try and talk as little as possible in the final section. So somebody <laughs> jump uh, in on this. I was just going to jump. This is a really interesting. Uh, this is this is the part of the show where Stefan says something he's pretty sure about, but forgets all the details. So you're welcome, everybody. Asterisk. Uh, but there's a very interesting thing about uh, about about um, the, the Nestle deal that everyone got really angry about in, in BC uh, in that the pr- everyone was really angry at how low the price was that, they were, that BC was selling. Uh, but what's interesting about that was what actually what that had done was they were all they were doing was charging Nestle for the actual cost, the regulatory costs of the water, because that meant they weren't actually selling the water. <laughs> and, the, and, and, the, and the reason why they weren't actually selling the water was because as soon as they put a price on water, then they actually start being in, in trade agreements. Uh, and so it actually gave this. So the, the concern was if they actually raised the price, then they'd be actively selling the water rather than leasing the area where the land, you know, rather, rather than providing this availability of the water to existence. Uh, and then that would basically would cause a whole new subset of problems because then there'd be a whole bunch of trade agreements where where they'd have to start going through. Um, and I think, and it, which is just interesting to sort of fun little, like it's like instead of like I think what the, what that says to me is instead instead of getting mad at the price of which we're selling water, um, <laughs> let's just consider if selling water ever makes sense. Oh yeah, and and actually, let me be really clear on my point. Thank you for for making me clarify that. Let me be absolutely crystal clear on my point. I am not opposed to, to sharing and coming up with a deal to exchange water resources with the U.S. or anyone else for that matter. What I'm opposed to is giving up our right to ever again from this point onward ever have any say in what happens to that water, which is what happens when you privatize it. I am totally, totally fair. We could reach some uh, a trade agreement with the U.S. where we share some water. Totally fine. 
totally fine. I'm not like a super extreme Canadian uh, protectionist. I'm just against giving away public assets to private corporations so that they can make money and their shareholders make money while we lose something that we might need one day really, really badly. It's not even about the money. It's about it's not about giving away things for pennies on the dollar so somebody else can get rich off it. It's insane. And I think, yeah, Stefan raised a really good point, too, with the trade agreements that really ties in there is that certain ways of sort of opening the door on water exports makes it so it's, you can't close that door. It's sort of you're, you're locked into that change. And if governments do try to change it with some of these uh, free trade agreements, uh, basically, you could be sued and you could like it becomes protectionism. Yeah. And yeah. it's 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 awful. <laughs> yeah. And then and that's uh, that basically brings us to the to TPP thing. There was some some a lot more writing about that. But I mean, not nearly enough that 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 I'm I'm very concerned that we're we're going to get any significant changes to it, much less my preference would be to throw out the TIP, the uh, TTP and the TTIP as well, which is that it's really not really actually about trade. It's about locking in global corporations ability to circumvent our sovereignty. It's really about handing over Canadian and other countries' sovereignty to private multinational corporations that are adherent to no one. It's constraining democracy. It's basically putting limits on what people can choose democratically in their own countries, in their own societies. So, for instance, one of the the articles here, and uh, there's a couple of folks who actually work for Common Dreams that I've been talking with. I'm hoping to really get them on. One of them is Deirdre Fullian, who does some excellent work on on covering this and many other issues. Uh, But that's really what it comes down to. I mean, they're just listing examples as leaks come out and as things come out of like, you know, this would now be illegal. So, for instance, since like passing fracking bans it would now be the uh, international corporations would be able to sue people who tried to implement things that are protecting their health uh it, it's absolutely insane uh, i'd like to uh, sorry uh, if, if i can jump into some on 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 perhaps the one part of the tv that gets con- it's not exactly an environmental thing but i think it, it ties into a a recent story which is fun uh and and this is the whole conversation uh, which is that one of the big things about the tp is trying to do is expand protection uh for drug protections expand expand <laughs> expand uh that you're not allowed to basically that you can't sell the drug in other places because it's got a got a um what's the word for it uh when you patent. what's the word when patent. I have a patent. patent there we go patent um, and and of course the problem when you have patents for drugs is that you can have a 62 year old drug uh, which gets bought up by a guy uh, who everybody hates oh, yeah. he does oh, a God. terrible thing <laughs> and literally the whole world is like I really hate this guy and he's like I can still do this and you yeah. can't and he really can it's just one of these like it's like I think when literally I think seven billion people hate you uh, <laughs> and yet you still can be like what up I think that's a concern for our democracy yeah and the, I mean the thing is and it's and it kind of reminded me a little bit of the cease of the lion thing which is that no no this guy isn't the exception <laughs> this is what the majority of people in the in these positions do he was just stupid enough to say it in public on on a news broadcast he's not an outlier he's the rule as far as the types of people that are in these positions of power and this is what happens when our democracy gets corrupted is because these people have the ability to do it and get to say well i don't care if you don't like me what are you going to do about it the law, i've already changed the laws to agree with me you have no you have no right to, to complain go away and not only is he being like an unbelievable jerk, but he's actually doing his job. Like you're saying, yeah. like he's, he's working for a corporation. Their job isn't really to provide people with medicines or cure people or heal people. Their job is to make a bunch of money for their, sh- their shareholders, you know? So, and I like to underline this. It's, their le- it's not just their job. It's their legal responsibility. Their, yes. their prime directive and yes. the only the number one, they have to do this and they can't do anything else until it's done is maximize profit to shareholders. And if they don't do that, they can lose their job or be sued or all sorts of other things. If they don't, the, the corporations themselves are filled with people, but the corporation itself is an amoralistic machine designed to maximize profit at the cost of everything else. And the, the sooner we figure that out as a culture, the better. 
So I have one final thing I wanted to bring up. We'll get a comment on it. It's a little bit lighter because I've been raging a little bit today, uh, which for our two new guests, just so you know, this is actually a little bit abnormal. I don't think we raged this much. Uh, but I was fired up. I'm actually, you know what? I'm really underslept. That's what yeah, I there we go. <laughs> I've had a very long week. So I'm getting a little frustrated. So the last thing here is the, uh, the founder of the very popular game uh, uh, Angry Birds uh, has uh, released uh, a, a game called Champions for Earth, uh, trying to encourage their uh, Angry Bird-themed avatars, blah, blah, blah. The game is themed around climate change and players encounter facts about climate change when they learn how to take action. So for the final comment, uh, maybe just because we, we've literally got about five minutes, so just a brief comment from, uh, from everyone but me. I will keep my, myself silent on this. Uh, do you think that uh, the company is legitimately urged, uh, concerned about this issue, and, uh, or is this something that they see as popular? And B, do you think that this will effectively actually get people to – will this actually affect change, or is this just going to sell more copies for uh, Revio? Uh, it, it, well, ang- the story of Angry Birds and how and the guy who made it is kind of ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, I think he actually gives a. Ca- I think he actually cares about it uh, because he was just a random person who created this silly little game that like had a lot of bugs in it and then got massively popular. So popular that he then stopped selling it because he was like because he was just terrified of all the attention he was getting. Angry Birds, not Flappy Bird. Oh wait, totally different. <laughs> <laughs> right. I knew I was like, wait a minute, you're talking <laughs> about Cyber. so not the Flappy not Bird guy. guy. That's the that's, that's, that's the other, the other one. guy. So uh, the, this the is Angry Bird. The Flatbird story is way more interesting than Angry Bird. <laughs> Everyone should just listen to the Flatbird guy. That guy is super interesting. Angry Birds, no, they don't care. Why would they care? This is stupid. They don't care. Uh, no but it, one cares. It they won't do anything. It Why does seem to indicate happening? though that they think it's that this issue is popular enough that it will sell them something at worst, which could be something. Yes, it will be downloaded by parents who want their kids to play a game, and mm. then the kids won't like the game, and they'll go do something else. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's Devin answers, Alex. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say without seeing the game, but I feel like in principle, it's a great idea. I mean, I, I think it's like it, it's a good idea to make games where you're like accomplishing something that's like worthwhile. And I know it's not video games, but I know when I was a kid, like I loved Captain Planet. I love the Smoggies. I love the raccoons, like all those cartoon shows that had those like underlying themes and messages. And I didn't think about them a lot then. Uh, yeah. A lot them, but that totally had a big impact on me. So yes, if Stephen. these kind of games can have a big impact on people, then I'd say all for it. Don't put your 30-year-old cynicism on these children, <laughs> Stefan. Uh, so, Haley, you get the final word here. Oh, why don't they just put this into the Angry Birds game? Like, what's the point of making another game that they're going to sell that no one is really going to buy because they can just buy Angry Birds? You just answered your own question because then they wouldn't buy a new thing. Because <laughs> this is still capitalism. This is still capitalism. <laughs> this, is how, this is how climate change is going to help the economy. We'll make a bunch of games about how we can do something about the climate change uh, and then we won't do anything. Uh, I, I want to make one last, one last pitch, uh, which is that instead of buying this, downloading this app, you go outside and enjoy a summer day before it's no longer fun to enjoy <laughs> <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I think that's a good final message. Uh, we're going to be carrying on actually here. Uh, this is a new thing here. we got about a minute left. Uh, Stefan and I are going to be doing a new thing, um, which is a little bit, which is that we always run out of time every single week, this week especially, but we always run out of time. So uh, in an effort to uh, not leave feeling like we didn't fully exercise our demons, uh, we're going to be doing a slight after show, and it's called uh, Text with Dave. Dave yes. is our animator on climate cartoons and also happens to be your brother. Yeah. Uh, and he's been tweeting. Uh, he always texts Stefan throughout the show and he's playing with his phone which is why he sometimes sounds distracted when I throw to him. Uh, so we're doing a new thing it's going to be off the air uh, you'll have to go to the website to listen to it we're going to do a very brief after show we'll be recording with a little hand unit uh, and it will be it's tentatively called texts with Dave because we're going to be answering Dave's questions yeah. uh, Dave I should add is a very entertaining person uh, so this will be interesting he also really like the out. music today and he really liked the music today well I'm, I'm glad he was happy which we should promote we didn't actually mention what it was oh man uh, we didn't alright uh, really quick we got like 30 seconds Neil do you want to jump in and tell us what our music break was thank you Stefan yeah, that was an uh, uh, artist from 
Vancouver. Her name is Jody O'Cavi, and uh, yeah, she's got a great voice. Awesome, and welcome back, Neil. So that will be it, I think, for the Green Majority this week. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us here. It was both a fiery show, it was a busy show, uh, and it was a show. That's for the Green Majority. Undeniably. Check out greenmajority.ca for any information you missed. Thanks so much, folks. We'll talk to you all real soon.